Hello, and welcome to another edition of New York Update. I'm Jake Jacobs, a New York City school teacher, and we're live every Tuesday at 7 p.m., usually. We cover education, news, a little politics, and this week was a debacle. Uh, when last we spoke last Tuesday, it was the actually it was the day that the high stakes tests began and we tested last week on Tuesday and Wednesday and I didn't realize it when I was broadcasting the problems that were happening with the computerized testing so New York State gives paper-based tests to most students and if you're in the third to eighth grade you have to by federal law no child left behind take a test in math and ELA. ELA is English Language Arts. And uh, last week they gave the ELA tests uh, over two days. And a number of schools in New York State have opted to give the tests on computers. They want third graders, fourth graders, fifth graders to take hour-long tests, uh, sometimes two, three, four-hour long tests, or even more, um, on computers. So they're basically reading off a screen and then they're picking a bubble uh, with their mouse and then in the writing portion they're typing and writing so what happened last week and this made major headlines across the state uh, i saw headlines in rochester buffalo long island and newsday and everywhere is that the computer testing system crashed and reports uh, surfaced almost immediately it was a debacle they said that about 6,600 students were affected. Some students couldn't log into the test. So here they are getting ready and they're all getting psyched up and they're anxious and they're nervous and their teacher makes a big deal and they've been prepping all year and they've been prepping all week and then they can't log in. So the testing vendor, Questar, is really on the hook and they are probably going to get fired there were some students that could not log in in the first place and then this was even worse other students were testing and taking their English language arts tests and going along for 60 minutes 70 minutes maybe more and then when they get to the very end they want to hit the button that says submit and finalize and then they got locked out it wouldn't let them submit and finalize what happened was they were over capacity and they should have known that they were going to be over capacity because the exact same thing happened last year. And they weren't fired last year uh, because I guess it was just a small number of kids last year that got screwed up and couldn't submit their tests and got crashed and couldn't log in. But this year, they expanded the percentage of kids that were taking the tests online. They're called CBT, computer-based tests. And this year, the number of kids that had problems uh, blew up exponentially. It was only a small percentage online. 6,600 kids were inconvenienced. The schools were inconvenienced. What those kids had to do was they had to go back to the beginning, and they were told by their teachers to write down all of their answers on a piece of paper so that they wouldn't lose all that information. And I believe it's still being investigated. So we're going to play some audio in a, in a minute of um, the commissioner uh, reacting. But basically, uh, the testing vendor, Questar, they had to scramble and get experts and fix this thing. And last Tuesday night, they announced that 
the problems were so pervasive that they were suspending computer-based testing, which they did for a day. And that means the schools were given a substitution of paper-based tests, or they had to delay until Thursday when they could resume testing, or later. And uh, it's really a stupid idea to have every kid in the state testing on the same day and the same time, because that is bound to overwhelm your system. And if you didn't know that just from common sense, you should have known from what happened last year when all the kids got locked out when the system crashed. So it's really awful. And, you know, the... The, the lesson learned is that, you know, it's really just bringing even more attention and even more controversy to the issue of standardized tests in general. And speaking of that, we have another series of complaints that are getting more attention now because of the computerized uh, glitches. And we're going to switch over to our audio now. Uh, we're going to be listening to the Capitol Press Room, which is a radio show out of Albany, hosted by Susan Arbeter. It's on WCNY. They sat down Mary Ellen Elia on April 5th, which was after the testing was finished. And they asked her, they wanted her to explain what was going on. So we are going to bring up the audio, I believe. Yeah, I can't hear it. Wait a week for you. I would say we've been very busy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Questar uh, is a big problem. They were a problem last year. If they don't fix this, are you going to get a new vendor? Well, let me just say, there's absolutely no excuses for the difficulties that our schools have had to encounter in this. No excuses. Um, Questar is going to be held accountable for all of the things that didn't happen appropriately. And um, and, and I think it's clear that there's um, um, ways that we're going to be looking at their contract. Their contract is up in 2020. So we're going to be looking at everything. Okay. So let's just say that. But today, I mean, the good news is, despite the issues that we had, and I'm not downplaying those at all, because anytime this affects kids, it's ridiculous. Um, but today, we had 73,000 students participating in CBT. And, and I want to say, one of the things we, we have done in New York is, at this point in time, anyone that's participating in CBT volunteered to be there with us. CBT, for my listeners, is computer-based testing right and they had volunteered to be there but the good right so i'm going to pause so this is commissioner mary ellen Elia, and you could hear she kind of has like a buffalo accent and uh um that comes out but i'm gonna i'm gonna chime in when she's being uh i feel deceptive here she's trying to say that all of the school districts that opted in to the computer-based testing format, you know, she's trying to say that they wanted this. I mean, this is, that's bogus right there. Um, You know, they might have signed up for computer-based testing, but they didn't sign up for their students to be locked out of the system or lose all their work, you know, like after 70 minutes of, of working and they get stressed out and they pull out their eyebrows and eat them. I mean, that's not what they signed up for. So it's a little bit of weak sauce here for her to say, oh, by the way, um, all of these districts, you know, opted in. They wanted computer-based testing. And, you know, she's said this elsewhere, too, that, um, you know, everybody uses technology nowadays. It's the way of the future. So let's listen. let's listen back in. 
thing about them volunteering, which we were so excited about, is these are people across New York who really want to get into using technology to be able to bring the things that come positive with doing computer-based testing, which is a turnaround much more quickly of the scores, um, which gives us adaptive technology to use, particularly with our students with disabilities. So we really appreciated that, and that's what makes this even more upsetting, that those people that went out with us ahead um, they had the faith. They yes. wanted to take the leap of faith. And we, and we just so appreciate what they what they did with us, and um, I'm disgusted over this. All right. Um, so Mary Ellen Ely is my guest. She's the commissioner of the State Department of Education in New York. Uh, there are different flavors of uh, adaptive testing. Mm -hmm. And Newsday wrote a column the other day, Lane Filler wrote yes. a column about adaptive testing. And uh, it's different from some of the stuff that Questar has. Questar, uh, according to Bob Lowry, just puts the, the written test on the screen. That's right. Um, and so as we move forward with computer-based testing and we um, and w wherever we are in the next few years in implementing computer-based testing we would revise the assessments to be very um, only usable on computers and so we're not in that stage so we well there you heard it folks she, she just said in the next few years we are going to revise the testing so that it's only on computers in other words, they're going to phase out the paper-based tests. It's not going to be an option. They're also talking about adaptive testing. And um, adaptive testing doesn't just mean like, oh, you know, the kid has vision problems, so we have large print on the screen. What adaptive testing means, uh, what it eventually is going to be when they fully implement it, is that every single kid gets a, di a different experience Right? They get different questions depending on their answer. So they all start out with the first question, and you know that might be an easy one. And for all the kids that get the really easy one wrong, they're going to like adapt that, so they're going to give them a different question from the other kids who get it right. Adaptive testing means it is moving you all through this process and giving you a customized experience. And although this is all going to be pre-programmed ahead of time, by these test designers, what it's going to mean is that no kid is taking the same test. Not one kid is going to be taking the same exact test as another. So the whole idea of standardization goes out the window. And if the whole idea of standardization goes out the window, then the whole idea of comparison goes out the window. Because how can you compare a student up in Buffalo to a kid in Ronkonkoma when they took two completely different tests? Um, and that's going to be the question. Now, I would probably prefer this, right, because adaptive testing is more suited to the kid. What you want to do is give a test that is ideally suited to the kid. In other words, it has a range of some questions they got right and some questions they got wrong, and they kind of exist within that little sphere, whereas if they get all the questions wrong or too many of them wrong, uh, the test is too hard for them. And if they get too many of them right then the test is too easy for them. So from an educational standpoint, it's better. But the problem is the whole, the whole reason that New York State gives these tests 
is because it's for accountability purposes. And accountability purposes mean they need to be standardized so they can compare kid to kid, school to school, district to district, state to state, country to country, and planet. Well, we only have one planet so far. But this is where we're at. And so when Marilyn and Elia is talking about adaptive testing and moving in that direction, this is what they have in mind. And it's not. there's going to be just as much contention around this as there is uh, with the paper-based test because who is writing the test? What are they looking for? What are the ranges? I mean, is a kid going to sit down to take a third-grade test and get the first couple of questions right and end up taking a fifth-grade test? Is that good? Is that bad? What does that mean? And how are we going to be able to compare? The tests really should be diagnostic, but that's not what they're used for. They, they are used to be punitive. They're used for accountability. They say that they want to enhance instruction and improve learning, but it hasn't happened. Uh, these tests have been around since 2001. They were enacted in 2002, and the results have been flat. You know, the literacy rates, the math rates, uh, college admissions, uh, graduation rates, you know, they all fluctuate, and the tests have not done a thing for it. So let's get back to the audio, and uh, we are going to be getting in a minute or two into some interesting territory. We've done this slowly in New York, and that's why... Um, uh, we, we've moved in the direction that we have. This, these are um, yeah. individuals. About 25% of the students across the state were scheduled to be um, taking their assessments on the computer, and those were volunteer districts that moved forward to take that on. So we have some changes that will be made no matter what. Um, and as we move towards um, a fuller implementation, whatever that timeline is, um, I think that we have to be very thoughtful about it. One other question about the tests. Um, the uh, NISA, New York State United Teachers, has leveraged the uh, unhappiness about the computer glitches um, into another call for uh, opting out and making your voice heard and let's get rid of the tests. What's your reaction to that? Well, uh, um, NISA is fully aware of changes that have been made in the assessments over the last three to four years, um, and those changes have been significant. I think... Um, Wrong-o, Mary Ellen. That's a matter of opinion. I'll tell you what the changes that have been made over the last few years. They did reduce the testing from six days to four days. So that would be three days of math and three days in English goes down to two days of math and two days of English. That is a significant change. Nothing else is really that significant. And she's going to talk about uh, untimed testing. That is not an improvement. That has made matters worse. The teachers union and teachers in general, rank and file teachers, have uh, spoken out and opposed it because right from the very first day when we started giving the tests, it was a horror show. We had kids that were taking all day because they wanted to get the test right. And some kids were taking all day just because they could and they wanted to blow off their afternoon classes. I had a kid that, that wanted to test all day because he had a crush on the teacher and he didn't want to go back to his other classes. So untimed testing means we leave it up to the student to decide when they're done, how fast they want to work. And it was designed to take the stress away from the kids, but all it did in the end was lengthen the time spent on testing. And that threw 
schools into chaos because if you only have three periods set aside for testing and you end up needing a proctor, a teacher, to oversee the testing all day long, that means that teacher can't teach their regular classes. That means, guess what? Gym is canceled. Art is canceled. That means wherever that teacher was supposed to be, they can't be, and they need somebody to cover for them, and they don't have enough people to cover for them. And it's something in the teacher's contract where on testing days, the teachers really have to be flexible because obviously they need all the kids to test. And, you know, it's true on testing days, sometimes we skip our prep, we miss our lunch, we have to have a teacher come, you know, uh, give us a break while we go run out to the bathroom for 10 minutes. And that's part of the contract. But now it's being extended and it's really taking away instructional time. It's taking away electives, right, such as art and music and technology and, and foreign language. And it's making kids nuts. There was a report that came out. A student uh, spent about four hours testing on the first day last week and then seven hours testing on the next day. And they tested all the way to the end of the school day. And they had to take the test out of that kid's hands. And it turns out that the kid was really stressed. I mean, they, the kid appeared worried, but they weren't really aware of what was going on until they found out the next day. The kid didn't come to school because when the kid got home, they basically collapsed. And it turned out they hadn't uh, ate anything all day. You know, they had like a 20-minute lunch, but the kid couldn't eat. And hadn't drank any liquids all day. And the kid was admitted to the hospital where they were hydrated and monitored till 2.30 in the morning. And obviously they couldn't come to school the next day. So that's what your untimed testing has done, you know, and worsened things, not made them better. And this is all part of the complaints and the whole package of anti-testing statements and the movement that is uh, really seizing upon this uh, computer-based testing debacle to try and bring attention to all of the other factors and parameters of the testing that are also flawed. You know, the, the term significant is different for some people and it is for others. Yeah. But one of the things that we have been very focused on is putting teachers back into the important positions in developing test questions and making determinations of what the questions are that go on all of our tests. So this is also very, very much in contention. They said that uh, one of the big changes they made to the tests was that they put teachers back in charge. You just heard her. She said we put them in the positions of the decision-making. It's all BS. The teachers go up to Albany, and they're put on a committee. They're put on a panel of four teachers per grade. So you'll have four English teachers that are put in a room, and they do not write the questions. They are given choices. They're given a bank of passages and questions that go with them. And they have to choose which is the least harmful to the students, which is the most appropriate on their grade level, and which is going to be the best choice for kids all, all across the state, whether they're high-functioning, low-functioning, special ed, English language learners. And as you can imagine, it's difficult when you cannot change the questions at all. You can't revise them. All you can do is, is decline them and then tell the testing company, Questar, to provide you with a different one. And so, you know, if you're a human being and you're in that room for seven, eight hours and the day is getting long, the human tendency is to say, all right, let's get through this. We'll just 
pick any, you know, the, the next questions, the next passage and questions that come down the road, we're going to have to approve them. These panels went up to Albany. They serve uh, in the summertime, I believe. They, they stay in a hotel overnight. It's two days long, and there are psychometric experts and statisticians and everything with laptops and data and uh, databases all around them, and it's a very highly controlled process. And there's only four teachers there from every grade for the whole state. So you have four math teachers for fourth grade, four math teachers for fifth grade, four math teachers for sixth grade. They're making the decision of what's going to be on the test for the entire state. And as we see, it didn't. It doesn't work out so well because when I looked at the test this year, there were, as usual, questions that had more than one plausible answer. And there were passages that were way above grade level. In fact, we found out that on the uh, sixth grade English test, they had the exact same passage that was on the fourth grade English test. And somebody looked it up. Uh, a teacher that I know, and I would vouch for it, looked it up and said that it was a 10th grade reading. And so that means the majority of students across the state are destined to fail or be found not proficient because it's above the reading level. It's hard for them to understand. And the questions are awful on top of it. So when Mary Ellen Elia, the New York State Education Commissioner, says that we put teachers back in charge of the process, she is, let's say, exaggerating. Okay. So we have a requirement under federal law. She's lying to have 3-8 assessments. This isn't an option that New York has run to do. Um, just you have to do it. That's it. We have to do it. And so we're trying to make them the best assessments that we can, and we're using the experts within New York State. That is our teachers to do this. And so um, I know that there's been um, some um, information that's been provided by NYSET. Everything that I sent out in my communications across the state is true. Now, the reason she's saying that is because NYSET, uh, which is the New York State United Teachers, published a blistering fact check of her information propaganda broadside that she put out. She said all these things, you know, take the test, the tests are improved, the teachers are in charge, they're now untimed, uh, we reduced the, you know, we shortened the test, meaning they re reduced the number of days. But on the days that are tested, those have increased. So there's a lot of contention about her truthfulness and whether or not she's exaggerating. And NYSE put out a fact sheet that uh, called her out on all of these things. And so here she is now trying to say everything I said was true. She's obviously very defensive. Uh, all of those things have been done. Everyone doesn't agree that um, that that's enough and to be perfectly honest I don't think it's enough but what we have done is clear and I think incontrovertible that that was what we've been working on so what was that she just said we're gonna have you, to go back you, that that's enough and that I sent out in my communications across the state is true uh, all of those things have listen been done. closely everyone doesn't agree that um, that that's enough and to be perfectly honest I don't think it's enough but what we have done is clear and I think incontrovertible that that was what we've been working on what <laughs> she said what we've done was clear and incontrovertible 
Folks, that makes no sense. She was just saying that the teachers union felt like she didn't go far enough. And she says, and frankly, she, she didn't go far enough. What? She just admitted? Okay? Let's go. It bears repeating. That's enough. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think it's enough. But what we have done is clear and I think incontrovertible that that was what we've been working on. Okay. This is what they call a tell in my opinion. She just blurted out, I think maybe mistakenly, that she admitted that, to be perfectly honest, we didn't go far enough. She just admitted that she didn't do her job sufficiently. The union was basically saying, you need to make these tests better. And she's done a few things that she's laid out, and she's trying to spin those things and exaggerate them. And now this whole thing blew up. I mean, the, you know, the testing crash is just the icing on the cake, the online testing crash. Um, and, he, and she's sitting down with this radio station, and she says that, you know, the teachers feel that, w that she hasn't done enough in her job. And then she just blurts out, wait, let's hear it again. What did she say? To be perfectly honest? Here. That that's enough. And to be perfectly honest, I don't think it's enough. But to be perfectly honest, I don't think it's enough. So to be perfectly honest... She didn't do enough. She didn't do her job sufficiently. And then I think she like, so you can see the mental process here. So she realized, wait, what did I just say? And so listen to the rest of her statement. Not only doesn't it make any sense, but she's inventing a word like Sarah Palin. What we have done is clear and I think incontrovertible that that was what we've been working on. Nobody can argue that that's what she's been working on. <laughs> what? Uh, intention or plans to go back and look at benchmarks or reconfigure the tests. We always are changing. So, um, so in 2021, that spring, the assessments will be based on the next generation New York State standard. I think the point that we have to make is um, there are going to be changes. Um, okay. So... Her saying this, it's not a good thing. There's a, a testing expert by the name of Fred Smith, who I met in the last year or so at a couple different events. This guy was in charge of the test development and, you know, like testing the tests, right? He was the one that was making sure that it was valid and reliable and statistically valid. And his name is Fred Smith. He put an op-ed in the Journal News like about two weeks ago, you know, leading up to the testing. What he was saying is that you can't keep changing the tests, right? The tests should not be changing and evolving, and one year it's this and one year it's that. Um, he made this whole rundown over the last five or six years of all the, the changes, right? So from the untimed testing to back when there was a time limit, you can't compare those two years. So the whole thing is useless and pointless. And then they're going to be changing the standards. Well, that was the problem in the first place. In 2013, when they were transitioning to the Common Core standards from the New York State standards that they had before, you know, the, the test results plummeted, right? And so you obviously can't compare one year to the next. And then um, they s slowly started, you know, gradually going up as the teachers in the classrooms started teaching to the test, catching up to the standards, now they're going to just change it again. So it's not a good thing that is constantly changing and evolving because the whole idea is to have objective 
measures, standardized measures that are uniform and don't change, right? It should be, this is the fourth grade math test, and that's it. And it's the same year in, year out. You know, kids either know fourth grade math or they don't. And so their argument for foisting the tests on small children and forcing the families, you know, to deal with with this and, for, you know, and the opt-out movement, it's all for naught if they're just going to keep changing. I mean, it's like, well, we want to make sure these testing companies keep getting paid and, you know, these consultants keep getting paid. So we're just going to keep evolving. You know, it's a living, breathing document, right? And that's exactly the opposite of what a standardized test should be. Now, again, I'm against standardization. And the reason is, and and you should be too, for, you know, if you have kids in public school, because the whole idea of going to school and getting an education is that you should be learning on your functioning level, and you should be challenged on your functioning level. But you shouldn't be given anything above your functioning level, and you shouldn't be given anything below your functioning level. Now, you know, it's just mother nature that, you know, kids all develop differently, right? One kid in the third grade is not the same as another kid in the third grade. You have your late bloomers, you have your early risers, you have everything in between. And that's just nature. And the natural variance in kids from year to year, it's pretty compelling, especially when you break it down statistically. Because, you know, one year you have a group of kids, they do, you know, a certain level. And then the next year, it could be 20% up or down just based on nature. That's just, you know, that's what they call child development. It's the first thing you take when you go for uh, a master's in education. It's called Child Development 101, right? And different children develop at different paces. Their cognition, their physical development, their maturity, their emotional maturity, it's all different based on the kid. So when we're sitting kids down to take standardized tests in the first place that is standardized across the whole New York State, it's an exercise in futility. You're going to have kids, you know, up on the hill who are prepared for this test because they come from literate households with two college-educated parents that have really good income. They want for nothing. They go to museums and they go traveling all across the world. They have literacy in the household. There's books everywhere and they hear the parents talking and everybody in the family is using vocabulary and, you know, it's all English. And then you have the kids on the other side of the tracks. So maybe mom is uh, working three jobs. Maybe dad hasn't been around for a few years. There's not too much language being used in the house. Maybe the parent, you know, didn't uh, finish their education. I mean, we have every possible situation. When we sit down 25, 30 kids in the classroom, you have high, low, and in between. You have everything going on. And to just take one piece of paper and put that in front of everybody and expect them all to, to be able to perform on the same level is a pipe dream. And ever since the beginning of the federal testing mandate in the No Child Left Behind legislation, which upended every classroom in the country, we have had terrible results. And the data is in. The standardized testing regime has not helped. It has actually hurt kids, particularly in the younger grades 
and who start out at a low level of literacy. The standards have not helped them. The testing has not helped them. So the whole idea of standardization is wrong, right? When a kid comes into a school, they should do some diagnostics and figure out, all right, what's this kid's functioning level? And you could have a bunch of tests up on the shelf and say, all right, we're going to give them test A because that's what their level is at. Or they can give them test B or test C. But you don't have to say we're going to give them, you know, the third grade test and it's the same for everybody no matter who they are. What You might have kids that have missed school for a year. You might have had a kid that had like spinal surgery and missed six months. You might have had every single situation. So the very nature of standardized testing is very imperfect and flawed. Then when you compound that with the fact that there are multiple choice tests, right? That means the kid is just guessing, right? Hmm, I don't know this answer. Well, I, th I think B is good because C, I know it's not C and I know it's not D, but I'm not sure if it's A or B, so I basically have a 50-50 here, right? So that's question number one. Now you go on to question two. It's like, huh, this one's hard too. Well, I'll just take a guess. I have a one out of four shot of getting it right. I have no idea, right? That's how kids take these tests. And this is how we took tests when we were kids, right, Richard? We had the same thing going on, right? So, you know, for, for, for that reason, you know, these standardized tests were never considered high stakes. There was never any personnel decisions. There was never any, like, we're going to close this school down. You know, there was never any, like, you know, we're going to fire teachers. Maybe maybe they're like, we're going to we're going to try and hire teachers. You know, maybe they're like, okay, you know, we need some more bilingual teachers or we need some better science programs here. But it, there was never any high stakes because it's all just guessing. It's all guessing. And, you know, if you think, like, even the, t even the, the, the kids at the very top, if you think they're not guessing, you're wrong because they're trained to guess. And, you know, and anytime you're not sure about a question, you're told to guess. You're trained to guess. You're supposed to eliminate the choices that are definitely wrong and then, you know, go with your gut or, you know, or, or hunch or, or, you know, go back to it. Maybe you'll jog your memory. Those are the type of, of strategies that we teach kids because it's all a big guessing game. It's all a freaking casino. So these tests are scientifically invalid, right? If you have a one out of four chance of guessing any given question correctly, how could you base anything on that scientifically or statistically? It just doesn't work, all right? And then, you know, when you add in all the stress and the pressure that are put upon kids because they think that their teacher's going to get fired or the school's going to get closed or they're not going to get into a good middle school or they're not going to get into a good high school, it's just a nightmare. And so this is what we're dealing with with, with high-stakes testing. And this year has been particularly a debacle. So now i got to tell you what, ha what happened as a result. The State Education Department, which was led by Mary Ellen Elia, put out, on th they put out a statement. And the statement, and so there's been a lot of contention this year over whether or not parents have the right to opt out of the tests. We've been talking on the show a lot about Long Island has a 50% opt-out rate. Here in Rockland County, there's about a 25% opt-out rate, depending on the district. Statewide, it's about 20%. For four years, parents have been refusing these tests in great numbers. And it turns out that the parents that haven't been refusing the tests, the parents that have been opting in, did not realize that they had the right and that they had the legal um, 
you know, outlet that they could have just sent their kid in with a letter and refused the test. So it's coming to light that many districts have been lying to parents, telling them that the tests are mandatory, that there's no refusals this year, or making them jump through hurdles. For example, telling them that if the, a parent wants to opt their kid out of the test, they have to come in in person and have a meeting with the principal. Or that they have to have their opt-in letter by two weeks before the test begin. All of which is not true. So what happened after this big testing debacle is that the state education department put out a statement. They put out a statement. And this was for, they were forced to, right? They were forced to by the, um, the chancellor of the Board of Regents, which is our other education body here in New York State. And they put out a statement that said that all parents have the right to opt out. Now, this represents a massive turning point, a major flip-flop, and a giant turnaround, all in one. Um, the state education department had always danced around that statement. They had never come out and expressly said, in writing, matter of fact, you have the right to opt out. They always just left it out there. And because of that, superintendents in all different districts have had a free hand to exaggerate and deceive and just flat out lie. Now, one of the things that we've been hearing about this year that happened a lot is reward and punishment. So I'm going to tell you about the Oswego Middle School. That's what upstate. The principal sent out a letter that they gave to students, and they told students you could share this with your parents. And it said that there were 10 reasons why you should take the tests. They want kids to say yes to the test, and it's capital letters. Say Y-E-S to the test. Number one, take the test because your school loves you and you love your school. Now, if that isn't a little bit of child psychology, right? And remember, this is a middle school. So this is like kids that range from about 11 to about 14, 15 years old, right? This is psychological manipulation. Take the test because we love you and you love us, right? What else? They said any student that says yes to the test will be exempt from their June English finals, but if you opt out of the test, guess what happens? You're not only going to have to take your June English finals, you're going to have to take your June English final right now. They have to take them on testing day in the same room as the kids that are taking the state ELA test. They were punishing the kids, making them take a test, and they said this is, test is going to be longer than the state exams. There's reward, there's punishment. And the, the principal also promised that if the school reached 100% compliance, that they were going to plan something like, like a pep rally in which five, of, five or six of your favorite teachers will do something funny like kiss a pig, right? And that w went out to every kid in the school. Now, I've also heard of other districts that told kids that you can be exempt from all your finals, not just your English and math finals. Every, every one of your finals you'll be exempted from in June if you take the tests. And then we found out that the state was not only aware of that policy, that they had encouraged it. And that is pretty damning because when the state released this statement that said all students and all parents have a right to opt out of the test, they threw their superintendents under the bus. And I will read to you what they said. After they said that all parents have the right to opt out, they said, 
To be certain, the vast majority of schools honor parents' requests to have their children not take the tests. However, we have also heard of isolated but troubling reports of parents' requests being ignored. They're saying, oh, we found out that school districts were not allowing parents to opt out. This is so ironic because just above that line in the same statement was the first time the state concretely affirmed that parents had the right to opt out. So this ended up really pissing off the superintendents around the state. And it was really, really disingenuous of them to blame districts because, as I said, they knew what these districts were doing. They approved the, you know, reward and punish system. They they knew all of this was going on because it was all happening because of pressure that they were putting on the superintendents. If they don't have a high participation rate, that their school could end up on the list, on the list for school closures, what they call the... Uh, CSI list or the list of schools in constant need of supervision or intervention. And so the New York State Council of State Superintendents put out a blistering reply and they said that it was uh, awful that the State Education Department cast aspersions on all superintendents instead of dealing directly with the bad apples. Right. And they also said in this reply letter from the superintendent's council, the superintendents were deathly afraid of these corrective action plans that the, that the state was threatening. But they also wrote this. Since the inception of high-stakes testing, school leaders have done their best to carry out the directives of the state education department. In other words, we were doing what you told us to do, right? reading. Many superintendents are now questioning why they have stood side by side with the department to implement its assessment agenda even when they disagreed with it. So it's like, aha, ding, ding, ding. What? So the superintendents are now publicly revealing that they went along with the state education department even though they disagreed with it. They disagreed with the assessment agenda, which was force and coerce and threaten and cajole and reward and punish and make these kids take the test. And now that this education department is blaming the districts, the districts are are exposing them and saying, hey, we were going along with your goddamn agenda and we disagree with it, fundamentally disagree with it in the first place. So talk about a tumultuous week. We're looking at Questar being fired. We're looking at a whole new day as far as teachers being involved because that's going to all get called out. And can Commissioner Elias survive this? I hope not. I mean, I've been against her from the from the beginning. She was placed in that position by Board of Regents Chancellor Merrill Tish at the time, who, if you know, if you recognize that name, Tish, she's the husband of uh, Lawrence Tish or the daughter of Robert Tish or whatever. The Tish family are like these billionaires that I think they own CBS Broadcasting, you know, uh, ever since, you know, back when. And, you know, you're talking about billionaires that are making education policy. They don't have any background in education. They have no training. And so when she was the chancellor, she put Commissioner Mary Ellen Elia in, and then she left. And Commissioner Elia has been, ever since, 
pushing high stakes standardized testing, accountability, the evaluation program that we spoke about, you know, she was in favor of it. She's still in favor of teachers being evaluated on student test scores, barking up the wrong tree. So the commissioner really needs to either, you know, change her ways or she's got to go. Because in New York, the testing does a lot more harm than good. It's really skewing what's going on in our classrooms when schools are just teaching to the test all day. A lot of drama going on right there. We're going to try to squeeze in a couple of other education headlines. Uh, We spoke about Fred Smith, and uh, he's the testing expert. How constant changes to state testing make year-to-year comparisons extremely unreliable. When you factor in the unannounced scoring changes and hidden formula, it's even worse. So that's one thing we haven't even touched on, is that the state education department actually manipulates the scores after they're done, after the kids take the test and the tests are scored, the state goes in and just changes, just arbitrarily changes what the passing threshold is. And they've been doing that for years. And it's very opaque uh, what criteria they're using. And so that's been a burning question. Another thing is when a English language learner or a student with a disability takes the test, their test score is changed around. You know, they call it norming, but they do something to the score. I mean, obviously, they, they grade it on a curve because they, the kid has a disability, right? And But they never tell anybody what the curve is or how that's figured or whether it's the same from year to year. Nobody has any idea what's going on because all of these things happen behind a wall in a statistical black box. And, you know, every time the Board of Regents uh, tries to find out what the formulas are, even they can't find out. So this is real hush-hush proprietary information. And, you know, if you're the taxpayer that paid for it, you're not allowed to know. Your student just has to go through the system and be graded on these formulas without any idea what they are and how they're computed. April 3rd. Video, Kamala Harris is asked if teacher pay should be determined by student test scores. She said, we can't even get to that conversation until teachers get the resources they need. It's myopic. It's not a fair question. It's actually quite simplistic. Senator Harris, how about a simple no? Should teachers get paid on based on student test scores is an obvious no-brainer. No, because the student test scores have nothing to do with the teacher's influence. And research has backed this up. It's a very, very small amount, if any, of influence that a teacher has on a student's ability to answer questions on a test. And I believe we have this audio of Senator Kamala Harris it's a minute long asking, uh, answering a question put to her by somebody. This looks like somebody in a school library. And should teacher pay be determined by those student test scores? I, I, I don't think you can even get to that conversation, frankly, until we give teachers the resources they need. Because otherwise, we are not, it's not a fair comparison. And in fact, it's very rote and myopic. Until teachers have the resources in the classroom that they need, We can't even get to that conversation. Um, Until we are at a place where we let teachers teach instead of being the nurse and the crisis intervention specialist and the counselor, we can't even get to that point because it is not a fair question. And it is not a fair standard that we are applying to our teachers. And I really do feel that very strongly. And so I think it is... Frankly, and I know that this conversation is taking place and it has taken place, and I think it's actually quite (coughs) simplistic. 
because it does not take into account the realities and the nuances of what we are requiring teachers to do. And so that's how I feel about it. So, folks, that was what they call a non-answer. <laughs> if you heard all that rigmarole, she just wouldn't answer the question, which means she's open to it, which means past history, it shows that she's linked to the money, the education reform money that has proposed teachers being paid depending on student test scores. And so, uh, unfortunately, she doesn't look like she's shaping up to be so hot on education. We already know that Cory Booker is in bed with the charter school funders because the week he announced his candidacy, he did a charter school event. And so if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know, and he's probably going to really lose support uh, broadly because of that. It's not only teachers, it's also parents, it's also students. But he's going down that lane because if everybody else is against charter schools or at least keeping quiet about it, he can rake in all that money. And so that's that's apparently the path that Cory Booker is going to be taking. And the last Democratic presidential candidate who did weigh in on Twitter was Andrew Yang. And Andrew Yang tweeted the following... As someone who was very good at standardized tests growing up, I think they are a terrible measurement of anything other than whether you are good at the test. Certainly have nothing to do with human worth, character, or virtue. Andrew Yang is running for president, although you probably haven't heard who, who they are. I'm learning myself. Uh, this is a uh, an entrepreneur, so he's a one of these billionaire business guys. And I also found out today that he recruits charter school teachers for his businesses. So he's apparently very in favor of charter schools, which I didn't know when I tweeted that out. For this week, uh, that's going to do it. My name is Jake Jacobs. You've been listening to New York Update. You can catch us online at nyupdate.org. And you can check out archived shows there. And if you want to catch us live, we are on the air every Tuesday at 7 at rocklandworldradio.com. want to thank Richard for hosting us. And if you do tune in at 7 and we're not on the air right at 7, sometimes we're 7.05, so no big deal, birds.